start just breaking stuff randomly. And I, I could just play got going on the background there. Thanks. You know, I saw that that like LED display in Walker's background in the, the nano leaf. The, yeah, you, you, where'd you get that? What is that? It's the nano leaf. It's like the like smart lighting thing. It just I yeah, my kid wanted it. Do you think we can put an Amazon affiliate link to pick that up in the description box below? <laughs> Um, hey, yeah, actually, I think we could, don't we have Amazon affiliate links? Yeah, that's a new it's okay. a new thing that well, actually, we got a lot of lot of new things. But uh, one of the biggest new things is um, mentorship available for registration, as well as if you guys haven't seen in one of our previous videos, we do have an Amazon affiliate account now. So when we're recommending products to buy, if there is a link to buy it on Amazon, like like that, did you turn it off right now? No, I have it like what I've got is like the like hot sauce burst thing. So okay. it, it goes it's like in Linus, like Linus Tech Tips kind of. I don't know. I just picked one of the presets. I didn't know that Linus Tech Tips uses it. I was actually looking at your HMI, but now that you pointed the other one out, I appreciate that. Oh, yeah. This is a, that's a, that's one. Yeah, of that's the, what we're That's the one of the factory studio demos. Yeah. So that's soft. Yep. Okay. Excellent. So. Uh, so when he, I know we got a couple of minutes here, but when are you guys going to do your thing on the next? Is that coming up here pretty quick? Yeah, a few weeks. Yeah, Zach, when are we? When are we actually shooting that? The so, PLC um, next. Yeah, so it's going to be a live workshop for uh, everyone in the mentorship program. We want we want everyone to be able to get the swag packs. So once everyone you know receives the swag packs, that those are shipping. Um, we haven't we haven't they haven't started shipping yet, but once everyone signs up. On the 11th, I think they should be ready to be shipped by the 11th. Hey, it's not are, necessary. Are we, it's are we posting so it's an not SD card yeah. that. I was gonna say I wanted to talk about that, and we were talking about that in the, this morning in the Discord. Uh, it does give everyone a chance. We we do want everyone to get a chance to like get the PLC Next starter kit, and also get the SD card. And we got to keep in mind that not everyone who's already in mentorship, they may not already be here, right? They may just show up on June 11th. So mm -hmm. a lot of new people will will just be learning about it for the first time. So we want to have them have a chance to get the PLC next starter kit. So okay. we're thinking August, we're thinking August, okay, if not July, yeah, then August. Yeah. When I started looking at that and I looked at the quick start manual and they have a, a hardware manual and now I'm looking at the profi cloud manual right now. And you have, and to what's have your experience? Your, well, I mean, as, as far as the, uh, the device itself, I mean, it holds great capability great capability there's just there's there's so much there it's not even funny i mean it's it's uh it if if it can pull off what it says it's going to pull off it should put a hurt in alan bradley's pocketbook <laughs> no, so i've been <clears throat> i've been playing with my demo quite a bit so that i'm as prepared as i can possibly be for this the live integration that we're going to do well here's yeah yeah well here's here's the thing that here's the thing that that uh that I don't understand. I asked Ira about the card. He goes, well, you know, we have to have this special card and we got to make sure it's, you know, it's, it's, it's got a, a certain piece of firmware in there so we can get in. I got to thinking about that. I thought you're trusting us to work with the PLC next to go through and work with the entire architecture to be able to take and program in multiple languages, multiple protocols, but you can't trust us to go out and get an SD card. So <laughs> I, I don't understand that. It's yeah, like, you know, I, you know, it's like I'm a five year old when it comes to picking out an SD card. <laughs> so, uh, Ira, do you want to? I know Ira's in the chat. Ira's in the chat. Ira, we'll wanna, bring Ira on. <laughs> <clears throat> do you want to comment on that, Ira? Um, so, so, so I, 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 
I'll, I'll share because I've been working with, I mean, I worked with Ira and we love PLC Next and we love Phoenix Contact and they are the sponsors of the swag pack. So everyone that joins mentorship, yeah, what, they're going to get it, yeah, you well, know, obviously. Me, would you but, let, me, let me explain something. I, I'm not here to disparage anybody here, but from a field standpoint, whenever you start putting something in, you're going to use it as a staple. It has to pass muster. And I yeah. think you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. Whenever you go start putting a piece of hardware in, it has to have certain credentials and it's got to be ready for prime time. So, re so real quick. So for those of you that are just watching the chat, you haven't really missed anything. We just jumped on a couple minutes early. Hey, how's it going? Dwayne asked the question, hey, when are you guys going to do your PLC Next um, live stream? We're going to be doing a live integration with the PLC Next, right? And... Um, he was asking, when are we going to do that? And that opened up a conversation about the PLC next specifically centered around. There's a, you know, there's a special SD card you need to be using with the PLC next. So here, my understanding is there, are, there's a technical reason why. Okay. And that technical reason is, um, the technical reason is related probably to firmware updates for the PLC next is almost certainly that's going to be the reason, right? That there's part of the boot sequence for the PLC next is looking for a, um, a certain piece of code that's running on that SD card. Now, why we can't just, my guess is there's probably a tech note that allows you to use a bootloader so that you can, put that you you can um format the sd card so that the plc next will be able to read it but we can we'll have ira on in a later discussion so that they can explain but i We're there's almost certainly zach, zach stink zach yeah there's zach, all yeah. there's almost certainly a a technical reason let me let me say this though when it comes to like automation hardware as opposed to or industrial hardware as opposed to like commercial hardware um Firmware updates play a much bigger role in industrial hardware than they do in the commercial space, right? You, before you start selling a product to customers, you've, you know, the, the, the software that drives that, that product it has been vetted to a very, um, to a level that it doesn't get vetted in industry, right? Because, Industry is constantly evolving, whereas the commercial space really isn't. Like an air fryer is an air fryer is an air fryer. A toaster is a toaster is a toaster. You know, a VCR is a VCR is a VCR. Whereas, it, it, and Dwayne, you're already familiar with this, right? Because you you work for industrial customers, right? Yes, they're yeah, they're always asking for new features. They're always asking for... Um, you know, ultimately, Ira said it's a support thing, right? If if they give the wild, I guess anyone can throw in any SD card. There's going to be support cases that come up, and in that process, if they just standardize their SD cards, then they streamline. And so I was saying, well, why? You know, maybe that's just an edge case. But I mean, I guess we did start the conversation by saying if PLC Next is on the right track and it's going to put a big hurt in the big boys' pocketbook, so I think we need, oh. you know. We're kind of oh, splitting hairs a little I, bit I, here, but Ira did say he's going to reach out to them and talk about what they can do. What I said was, is, you know, if you're going to charge, if that's going to be like a business model where like iPhones, right? You have the 32 gig, mm -hmm. 64 gig, right? If have a two gigabyte PLC next and have an eight gigabyte PLC next, 
or you know have a eight gig and a sixty four gig so ideally, and then, and then charge charge more for the the larger one if that's how you want to do it. But but if I can't use any other SD card, why even make it an SD card? And what I would say is this: let's let's shelve this conversation for <laughs> for the Phoenix Contact guys. Okay. okay. So, I I mean my to me I so Dwayne, you brought up that point. To me, I haven't really thought about it. Like it 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 didn't. It's it hasn't come up as like oh that would be an issue for me. I've been working with the unit. Uh, now the last few weeks and to your original point, which was the, the amount of capabilities they pack into the PLC next, like yes. for the price point, it's not even for the price point. It's like when you're playing with it, it's pretty hard to imagine that it's a, um, correct. I'm not even using an SD card. Good, good point. Ira. I'm not even using an SD card with, with my unit right now. Um, well, I think the, the other point of confusion here. was our units came with Phoenix Contact sent us demo units with extra swag and extra SD cards. That's part of the reason why we went and created the swag packs in the first place was, you know, we unboxed this swag and then you all went out and bought the starter kits and then it didn't come with some of that swag. So this gives us an opportunity to kind of make up for that fact. You know, granted, it's, you know, in our mentorship program, but regardless, everyone who bought the PLC next starter kits already in our mentorship you know well, I mean, already but, probably in our but besides the the sd card situation that's just one small aspect of the whole thing the deal about the hardware is it's is its ability to do what it's it says it can do and so I'm, and you know, what we're looking at here is we're looking at a, a true 4.0 product right that you have four properties it's got to be open architecture edge driven report by exception Lightweight, right? Lightweight. Mm. I gotta have. I, those are my four properties, and so my deal is, I gotta be able. To, I could be able to take this and go into the system and plug that in and make it work. So, and as a, and I work in field. You guys know that I work in field. I've been doing this for a little over twenty four years. So I'm a three O guy coming into four O uh, territory, and so I'm steeped in three O tradition. And to me, it's all about reliability. It's all about availability. It's all about support. And so I'm the type of guy, I work in the area around the bottom of, of the stack. I'm in the uh, the PLC, the plant floor, except I, I just work in the water, in the wastewater. So if I go and I put a piece of hardware in, I need to know that it's going to have my back to begin with. And I need to know that I'm, uh, I'm going to take care of the customer, it's going to solve the problem. And if something happens to it, I can take care of the customer at a moment's notice. So that's, to me, that's very important. And, and so that's the reason why I'm looking at this as a solution for the future, right? Because it's all about technology-driven solution. It's all about strategy, right? This is this is this is what we're trying to do. If, if I can't be a part of the entire ecosystem, I can work within a section of the ecosystem. So, do you already have a starter kit for PLC Next? Yes, sir. yes, sir, I do. And how long you been playing with it? Uh, about a month. I've, I've been I've been trying to dig around and find information about it. The the, uh, the documentation has been sparse. You have to kind of hunt and peck for that stuff. And the only complete manual I see is in German. Uh, they have a quick start in English. Uh, I, I found that the uh, the hardware documentation, so whenever I upgraded the firmware here in May to the latest revision, and so when they send you the zip file, you're going to plug the PDF, and it's got a hardware manual in there. Right. And, start, and then they sent me a ProfiCloud credit card, which is good for one device for one year. I don't know if you guys got that with your, your swag kit or not. We did. So we got that, but here's the deal. you got to have a coupler with that. Yep. Right. So they don't tell you that. that's a $1,200 item, by the way. 
if you go to Phoenix Contact, you look on that, and you go to look at the you look at the Phoenix Contact, it tells you it's not it's not available in the United States. So now I might be wrong about that, but all the websites, if I if I Google that, all my stuff is over in Europe where I can go find that. Stuff. Yeah. So whether so whether you're right or wrong, it, it's not even that's not even really the important part. The important part is that that's that's what you believe right now at this moment, right? You've ordered that's a starter kit, right? So whether and, it out. right, and so that would indicate, um, right? So here's my experience. So my experience has been because I'm. You know, I'm a PLC guy too, but I'm I'm um I've spent more of my time in the last ten years of my career in the upper layers of the stack. What I've discovered is, um, I'm shocked at really how intuitive it is. As a software developer, I find that the engineering environment is very intuitive, and so it is. It was easy for me to a load one of the demo projects, create my own project and use some of the more advanced features in the engineering environment. But I would be curious, since you are a PLC guy, and we'll get into your, you know, what you do here in a second, but how intuitive have you found the engineering environment? So if your focus has been in the lower levels of the stack over the course of your career, right, PLC, HMI, mm -hmm. how, how, um, how intuitive have you found the engineering environment uh, relative to say Studio Five Thousand or you know enter in some other you know TIA well, like, portal. Yeah. Well, to me, it's, it's like anything else. You, you you've got to get your feet wet in it. And so after a, a couple of tries of moving things around, I love the demo project, the one that has the coffee pot. Yep. You can pull off there. You can pull out off the off the uh, the community uh, site. And then I went through the real pars videos and I did the little demo project. And then I made the the, the little cheat the little uh, website. Which I like about that. That's a nice feature, mm -hmm. and so that's kind of where I'm at. And so I, I took you, a step back you, and, and and looked more at the hardware part of it. Could you share what that feature is? That the web, the web application. Yeah, the web application. When you go in there and you, you go into the engineering studio, which basically what it is is you have the ability to create a web page, and what you do is once you create your tags, you have your project, and your and you have your program, and you have to you have to take and attach your program to to a task. So it makes sure it runs the program, right? Got it, right. And then once right. you come in the program, you create your tags inside the program. And then you can associate those tags with hard I.O. points, or it can be a soft it can be a soft tag. So then once you write that up, and then you can take and load that onto your, uh, to your device and run it. But if you want to take and do some form of display, you have to create an HMI screen. And so they allow you to do that. So once you create that, you can create whatever screens you want. And then, of course, they have a, a login screen to go with that as well. And you can create what they call a home screen. And then they got some. So stuff it's like a web that, web HMI. That's exactly right. It's a web HMI, and so the, the tools they give you are basic HMI tools. And so what I was looking for once I, I got down there, and I just did some simple stuff like just display true or false, yes or no, on or off, you know, something very simple. That's kind of where I'm at right now. I took some baby steps with that, and and the, but the HMI, I'm, I was trying to look to see if any extra libraries for that because the tools and stuff they have in there are limited, and I'm sure that they got some other tools that are in that you can bring into enhance your because. I looked at the demo that I pulled off the uh, the store, and it had a lot more goodies on it. Right. So, Versus so, so outside of the SD card piece, outs and outside of English documentation, which by the way I have experienced the same issue myself. I I actually think that the doc I haven't had a 
problems getting the, to the documentation that I need. I can read German. So, uh, but I, I, um, oh, that's but right. I haven't those had I, those IEC drawings you read. Right. I, but I haven't had a problem with documentation yet. I've actually, what it keeps standing out to me on the PLC next as I keep playing with it, right, is A, the flexibility of data modeling. Okay. So I have, there's a lot of flexibility in the way that I want to model my the data okay in the in the plc next number two there's a lot of like low code tools to get started in the plc like i used to say this about ignition all the time like why did ignition take off and it really had to do with it wasn't just that you could download it that helped a lot that you can download it that pricing is published on the internet and you can find out how much it actually costs and all that kind of stuff but the reason that Ignition really took off as a platform is because at its base level, Ignition is as easy as it gets. It's drag and drop, right? I mean, you could put somebody in an Ignition designer, show them where the tags are. They could figure out how to create a window and drag stuff onto a window and make a window with no training whatsoever. Because at its base level, it's, as e it's no code. It's like drag and drop, right? Mm -hmm. That's my impression with the PLC Next. There's a lot of no code, low code capability within the PLC Next engineering environment that allows you to unlock potential. But what's becoming clear to me is that there's a lot of very advanced power user features within the environment as well. And, and, and that, that's the thing that stands out is like, um, you know, for the other very inexpensive PLCs on the market, it's like you either have to have low code, no code, and and trade and you and the trade off is fewer features, or you've got to have high code, lots of code to to translate into lots of features. And the PLC Next is only the second PLC I've played with, where in Industry 4.0 hardware, where I felt like at the base level it's real easy to to work with, but at the on the high end, there's essentially nothing I can do. I can't do with it. The Opto Twenty Two Groove Epic is the other is the other one, right? It, you know, um, and by the way, they're not even remotely in the same price point, right? The PLC Next kills the Groove Epic in pricing. So, um, the I, I've been very impressed with it. But I one of the things that I want to get out of when we do this live stream and we we show how to integrate it into a IoT infrastructure. I want to get feedback from the rest of the community on what it is, the problems they've run into so that we can steer, uh, you know, our training and mentorship and, uh, well, specifically mentorship in well, closing those gaps. There's a, there's a video by Martin Boer. Martin Boer is an Irishman and, and he's a the chief technical guy. And he did a, a, a six minute video on, on the complete architecture of the next. Mm -hmm. So there's a, there's a big growing on that. And he's playing that. And I didn't understand exactly what all you could do with this. And there's three main sections. There, there's a there's a real time section, and then of course there's a, there's a non real time section, and then you can bring your libraries in, and then of course you have all these different languages you can program in, and then there's a coordination between these different sections. And uh, and so he has a couple other videos, and I started watching one of them where he would he was going into MQTT, and he's, he brought in his Paho libraries, and he was doing C sharp programming. That's what mm -hmm. he was doing. Now. I don't understand C sharp programming. And so I just, I just watched him to see what he was doing. And I was just amazed the versatility he had to get in there and set that thing up and make it work. 
And I'm thinking, wow, I mean, AB has nothing like this. Nothing at all. Mm. And I'm thinking, if these guys got their act together, watch out. <laughs> this is why I brought Dwayne. I told Walker, but I actually kind of scared Walker a little bit before. I'm like, I brought Dwayne. I'm like, I, you know, I tell him when we go live, here's who we have on. And I'm like, yeah. Um, and I was telling, you know, he's, I'm like, Dwayne's just going to tell it like it is. Like if there's some fucked up, he's going to tell us that it's fucked up and we need to fix it. You know? And well, by the way, the that, that's what, by the way, that's what people need to do. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like I've never been accused of, <laughs> I mean, my, my shortcoming in the community, part of the reason I love Dwayne is, you know, I, I've never been accused of, uh, you know, pandering you know pandering for political points right um you know i'm in fact I, I get accused of the exact opposite that in fact i had a client last week i think or two weeks ago say you know i said to one of my guys after a meeting you know walker needs to understand his audience better you know this this person was a director level and um and i corrected them um they basically said something incorrect about oee versus teep I corrected them in the meeting and this director took great offense to what I said and said to my team afterwards, you know, he needs to under his, understand his audience. And my response was, well, my audience was the operations team. I don't care what your rank is in the organization. So I never get accused of pandering to, uh, you know, for, to score political points. Dwayne, I, sh I assure you, neither, <laughs> never gets accused of the exact same things. <laughs> oh, I, I've, I've, I've made a lot of engineers mad and I've made a lot of contractors mad. But at the end of the day, they'll call me and ask me about something. And I'll ask, well, what are you calling me for? And they'll say, because you tell me the truth. That's right. Mm. Okay. So tell everyone the reasons why, why they should not join mentorship. And then we'll <laughs> get into the reasons why they should join mentorship. Oh, no, I mean, I mean, I have nothing. We're, we're, I have how nothing. can we, I, this is what I want to ask. Like, how can we improve, you know, this, this whole stream, like this whole month is well, let, around. Let's, let's start and, with Dwayne. What brought you to our community? How did you, oh. cause you're, you're one of the OGs. We, you know, you're one yeah, of the OGs. Yeah. You're one from, you know, I'll yeah. I tell you, I tell you what brought me. I was, I was on LinkedIn, right. And I've seen these videos with you and you you had your football shirt on your way of your arms. And I thought, who is this guy? <laughs> and he's, he's got a chalkboard out and he's, you know, he, he acts like, and, I, and, and so I saw a couple of topics I liked. I thought, well, let me let me take a look at what this guy's saying. And I started listening to him. I thought, you know what? Maybe this guy knows exactly what he's talking about. And so I started listening to a couple more. And so when I came in, I saw you did your mentorship and your mastermind demo, remote and all that stuff. So I thought, I need to get in on this. And so uh, uh, I actually came in on the orientation that you were doing the fall, the fall session. And that's when I joined yeah. right then and there. And what has your experience been? So you've been in mentorship since September of last year, right? What is your, what, you know, what, what, what are the, you know, what are the advantages? What are the disadvantages? What have you gotten out of it? You know, how can mentorship be better? Well, I'll tell you what I've gotten out of it. Uh, the, the thing that I've gotten out more than anything else, it's been a humbling experience because uh, a fish in my little pond down here, and uh, be able to take and, and swim around with the rest of the guys, you find out real quick just how much you don't know. And I realized that, uh, you know, what you're doing is there's nobody else talking about it in the world that I know of. If they are, I, I, I might hear about it. And so uh, I also realized the amount, the, just the vast amount of information you have to have in order to understand this and conceive it. 
And so that's the reason why, you know, uh, the whole idea behind me and, and I don't, and I don't think like you, I know I'm not a Walker Reynolds and that's, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. My, I have my, I have my, I have my part of, of the, I've had my part of the stack I'm in and I, I want to be able to take and do my due diligence with that. But, um, is to understand that the concept and the architecture of the overall ecosystem, uh-huh. you know, and that's that's and that and you do that every time. Every time you have a meeting, you always tell about your mission statement to, to, to save and create middle uh, uh, jobs and middle class. And you allow industry to do more with less, right? So those 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 that's the drum you beat, uh-huh. and then you you beat the stack. You beat the drum about the stack, and you beat you know they have a closed ecosystem, and then here's all the elements involved. And we have a holy grail. And that holy grail involves you know unified namespace, and so these all these pieces are in the system. And then when I talk to the guys, I mean you got the ones that climb off into the weeds, that know all the right. software, and right. I am just amazed. These guys talk about that. You know, boom! It's just it's just over my head. Well, but you I know. Can't, I, Go ahead. So what I, what I say, you know, we talk about full stack fluency all the time. So for those of you that are not members of the community, right, um, or you're or you're not a member of the community, like actively all the time, in mentorship and mastermind, and in all of our regular communications, we talk about the fundamental difference between the industry 3.0 professional and the industry 4.0 professional is that the industry 3.0 professional, they specialized, right? Because they needed to. They needed to specialize. And that doesn't mean that you can't you can't specialize in, you know, PLC programming or, you know, Factory Talk View ME or Factory Talk View SE, or you can't specialize in, you know, Wonderware SCADA. It doesn't mean that you can't specialize in those things as an industry 4.0 professional. But what it does mean is that you have to have fluency in all of the things that you didn't work with before. That's the fundamental difference is like in order to understand how you're going to be, how you're going to serve a digital transformation initiative as a professional, you have to have fluency in every layers of the, every, every layer of the stack. And we talk about that over and over and over and over again. It's the fundamental thing that changes, right? Um, Dwayne, let me ask you this. Um, if if somebody asks you what you've gotten out of other than uh, it being a humbling experience what's the biggest thing that you've taken away from being a member of the community so this so that's not just mentorship and mastermind it's all it, it's it's but being a member member of the discord community this industry 4.0 um community that of you know it's a couple thousand people now um what what's the big takeaway for you, like uh, professionally? What has been the big, the big takeaway? Uh, I guess professionally speaking, it it, it I've learned that uh, that uh, there's so much more there to help people with. Okay. You know, uh, that's to me. I, I I'm just I'm just uh, in in awe of what's available, and I've always had the feeling all along for years that there has to be a better way of doing things. <laughs> and, right. and, and I'm seeing that, I'm seeing that firsthand right now. And I, you, and you've been in the business long enough, you know how everything is put together when it comes to projects, what trades hands, 
you know, whether you're dealing with an engineer or you're dealing with a customer or you're dealing with a vendor. And then if you've been in it long enough, you know the subtleties that happen in between along the way that happens. And you're looking at some of these things and you're thinking, holy cow, I mean, how does business even get done sometimes? That's right. How does anybody and make it? How, how, how are you making yeah, any money? Yeah, <laughs> and, and then and, and you're thinking, you know, this this guy has this guy has a PE license and he's he's you know, he's running jobs. You're thinking, oh, my God, what's he even doing there? You know, and, and and this guy's getting paid a mint. <laughs> exactly. No uh, one can't tell, afford to tell you stories about this. Stuff, that's it's, why you can't afford rampant. to digitally transform. Because you're paying rampant. all your industry yeah. 3.0 integrators they're, to they're, manually so, yeah. integrate data. I mean, the, the the level of ignorance that's out there right now is 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 monumental. So, well, Dwayne, well, Dwayne, I I I appreciate you joining and I appreciate your contribution to the community. I do want, I want you to stay on. We're going to get into the questions real quick and then you can chime in um, uh, real quick. Actually, I want to answer Mark Ritchie's yeah, question. Yeah, so Mark, question. Mark Ritchie said, Walker, if you evaluated Omron NX platform would be interested in your take. I just recently discovered Omron has released MQT function blocks, which lead me to discover your channels. Uh, yes, we have evaluated. We've been working with Omron um on that support um we did just find out last week that Omron is going to add in spark plug b support for the nx platform um we got i think we, we i got that email on friday um so to to answer your question yes we have evaluated Omron nx love it looks great um and they are i think the nx 102 is the one that we're working with primarily and we have worked with Amron's team. So just like um, now, the you know Amron's a little different than the the PLC Next, where PLC Next is really built from the ground up as an industry 4.0 piece of hardware, right? The the Groove Epic, the Opto 22 Groove Epic, built from the ground up. The NX 102 is sort of an extension of existing the existing Amron ecosystem, but it's an i 4.0 platform with native support. And yes, we were very happy with it. But to answer your question, Mark, uh, yep, we have evaluated it. We've been speaking with Omron. And I did just receive the email Friday that they're adding in the Sparkplug B support for um, their MQTT offering. So yes. All right. Um, Zach, can you see my screen? I can see it. Dwayne Warden, the man, thank you again for joining us. Um, 4.0 mentorship program now open. Yep. So a couple of things I wanted to go over real quick. Um, manufacturing Solutions University. So that's done by Tech Data. I did the keynote and I'm on a panel at the end of that. That is this this thir um, Thursday. This Thursday from 11 o'clock to 4 o'clock. Is that Central or Eastern, Zach? I believe it's uh, Eastern. So it's 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern. You can um, go to cvent.me and sign up. Um, if you guys want to do Manufacturing Solutions University, it is, it's sponsored by Intel, put on by Tech Data. Uh, I know that my keynote is first. Um, again, it's, it's, a, it's a basic introduction into what is manufacturing, what is industry 3.0, 4.0, but I think it can be helpful. The panel discussion was great. So if you can watch the, I mean, the keynote was good, obviously, but um, the, the panel discussions, an outstanding panel discussion that I think uh, the whole community will benefit from. Um, all right. Uh, 
Also, the eleven. When you, when you shared, did you optimize for video streaming or because why? It's doing that thing again where um, it's like super super like showing images from multiple screens. Uh, the answer is yes, I did. Um, maybe I need to not use Firefox when I do it, but um, I'm using Firefox. Um, or maybe there's some issue with Canva with the the drawing, but there's nothing. I, I'll read the questions out. It won't kill anything. We'll get it fixed in the next stream. Um, so next week we're doing um, uh, architecting your industry 4.0 career, the summer launch event. So basically we're opening mentorship back up. Uh, we actually did that last week. And I think privately we reached out to the people who had already expressed interest. Um, but mentorship is opening back up for how Zach, how long will signups remain open? So they'll they'll remain open until the end of the month or until it's sold out, whichever comes sooner. Got it. Okay. Um, so what we're doing, um, we're doing a one hour session on the eleventh where we're I'm basically gonna walk through, hey, how how should you architect your industry 4.0 career? So what's the difference between an industry 3.0 professional, 4.0 professional? What are the what types of new jobs are in the industry 4.0 space? How how do you educate yourself if universities aren't teaching this stuff yet or they're only teaching parts of it um how do you get the education you need um how do you find these jobs how do you pick the one that's best for you etc cetera, etc cetera. that's what that whole session is about unbelievably is it three it's over 3600 people have signed up right for that webinar is that yeah it's, yeah it's crazy that, that's absurd i mean that's a huge number for our industry i'm, I'm sharing my screen over here so just let me know when you want to go to the next slide um well, I'm I uh, I need to share my screen, Zach. Oh, okay, okay. Um, so I to answer your question, it's 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 useless right now. I mean, it's literally useless. Right well, now. I didn't I didn't pick Streamyard, so. Um, well, I mean, it's it's on it's on your end. It's definitely on your end because it's working flawlessly over here. All right, so um, you, when you share your entire screen, or you're sharing the Chrome tab. I'm sharing my entire screen. Oh, okay. All right. Um. It's weird because it wasn't doing that before. Well, let me share Firefox. Um, <clears throat> all right. So. Oh, wait, now you added you shared the um, the chat window, though. But that looks good, though. That looks like it's coming through good. Bear with us, guys. <laughs> it's just like it's when it whenever he was sharing his whole desktop, it's like it just wasn't. Um, updating for some reason all right so that looks, good. that looks good all right try that so if you followed every single section of the isa 95 um standard to the t would you fail at digitally transforming your organization um so the answer is yes you would fail okay so when we talk about isa 95 we're really only talking about isa 95 part two okay so the isa 95 standard uh makes up one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight parts, plus a bunch of companion specifications. All right. When I talk about ISA 95, I'm talking about ISA 95 part two objects and attributes for an enterprise control system. I'm really talking about that, which is basically enterprise site area line cell, right? Um, I'm going to use, I'm going to show you an example of if you were to adopt ISA 95 soup to nuts, 
you would fail in digital transformation. And if you want to look at that, all you really need to do is look at part one or part five. All right. So part one contains, um, let me make sure I'm looking at part one here. Uh, this is part five. So let's look at part five, which is uh, business to manufacturing operations integration. So all you really need to do is read this introduction to understand that part five doesn't apply to an I to an industry 4.0 architecture, especially one with a unified namespace. Okay, so this ISA 95 part five standard is based on the use of ISA 95 abstract models defined in ISA 95 part two, which is fine, and part four combined with the OAGI verbs to define a transaction model for information exchange. What is part five really defining? It's defining middleware. Okay, it's really defining how middleware transactions should operate, which is the opposite of edge-driven report by exception infrastructure. Now, that one of the things that they point out here in part five is that this isn't isn't meant to be inclusive of standard architectures that you would see in Industry 3.0, right? Using middleware, that you could take part five and apply these transactions and drive them from the edge if you wanted to, but we've never seen that. I mean, there's there isn't any software that supports that right now. The the part five adoption is really middleware. So and middleware is pull response server client. Okay. So the, to answer Zach's question, if you adopted all of ISA ninety five to the T, would you fail at digitally transforming an organization? Yes, because that's where everyone started. Everyone started by trying to use ISA ninety five to build the business infrastructure to create a digitally transformed organization. And what happened was it was the wrong technology and the wrong strategy, and it, it wasn't lightweight, and it didn't scale. Now, that being said, ISA 95 continues to evolve, right? So the, you know, the ISA is the International Society for Automation Professionals, right? It, con it continues to develop, right? And... I expect ISA 95 to, um, to, to develop with the technology that's available. But to answer Zach's question, yeah, you would fail miserably. First off, you'd adopt this Purdue security model. You would use a server client infrastructure with middleware between the business applications and your control systems applications. And that's the exact opposite of the architectures that actually work. Good enough for you, Zach. That answer yeah, your question, enough, buddy. Good okay. I, I might as well have just asked, can you digitally transform an organization from the top down? Right. <laughs> the answer is no. Um, Arpit asks, which industry should be or should be or required to be first to be digitally or transformed digitally? Industries which really need to transform those which got serious problems. I'm thinking about the scenario in India. The answer is all industries need to digitally transform. Those that are in really highly regulated environments need to be much more cautious about their architectures. You can't, in a highly regulated environment, you can't, adopting standards is not optional, right? So if I'm working in the nuclear power industry, or I'm working in water wastewater, or I'm working in, um, um, you know, I'm working in mining, for example, I 
or I'm working in chemical or I'm working in life sciences, you, the, the standards bodies dictate a lot of what your, uh, they dictate the technology you can use and the architectures you can deploy so that you have, you have to use successful use cases in non-regulated environments to drive the changes in the standards bodies for the highly regulated environments. But outside of that caveat, all industries need to be digitally transforming. Why? Because if you don't, someone's going to, and you will be put out of business. Uh, Arpit said, for getting started, what's the basic must-have stack for an automation engineer like Arduino, solder gun, breadboard, basic components for getting started with electronics? My answer to you would be go to the Discord server and go to... what? What's the channel that has the... Uh, the demo boards for four dot for four oh labs for uh, 40 labs go look at the four four dot oh labs uh channel <clears throat> uh manjush walker i was gonna i was going through your interview with brad demarco on oe implementations and i have a few questions and remarks uh number one walker mentioned about a ten thousand dollar upgrade in the machine build to improve efficiency and oe calculations having the ability to provide pre-failure warnings over time. I'd like to point out that sensors on the shop floor are now getting smarter, especially with IO-Link on board. IO-Link is a point-to-point -point communication system between the sensor and the PLC, which can transmit process data, provide operators to change parameters on the fly during change, change parameters on the fly during changeovers, and provide diagnostic information about the process and sensor health. For those of you that don't know, think of IO-Link as... Um, heart the heart communications protocol plus 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 so heart is basically context on top of a 4 to 20 signal io link is um context on top of a of a field bus essentially right and and it's not just context it's context and configuration and um state on top of field bus that's what io link really is right so io link is also an open communication system that has an iec 6113 nine standard it can be edge driven it's open report by exception yes of course the sensors with io link have the ability to provide pre-failure warning blah 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 um is this feature going to get add value to the oe discussion or is it just not another nice to have feature on sensors it's another nice to have feature on sensors um io link is the the capabilities provided by io link they are edge capabilities they're not infrastructure capabilities so you you io link is not an iot iot protocol um and and let me use this example okay that doesn't mean that it doesn't play a very very important role in the in future architectures it does someone had asked me the question a couple of weeks ago when did the fourth industrial revolution start and someone said you know it really started in 2012 with hanover messi that's not true hanover messi only observed in the, the Hanover Messi show, they observed what was changing in the industry and they made Industry 4.0 a focus of the 2012 show, right? The fourth industrial revolution started with the creation of Ethernet IP, okay? When Ethernet IP was when Rockwell took the, the SIP, which is the common industrial protocol, and they combined it with Ethernet to give you Ethernet IP. And the moment they did that, we could take controls, control systems networks and we could integrate them with the business network 
without any other technology. We didn't need any new technology. And so the moment they did that, we could literally take all the data that was unlocked in these PLCs, embedded controllers, all the stuff on the plant floor, the HMIs, and we could natively integrate that into the existing business systems so that we could merge the data from the business side with the the data from the um, process side. And we didn't have to have any, they, they literally were, looked, were able to talk apples to apples to one another. That's when the fourth industrial revolution started. The combination of SIP and Ethernet to give you Ethernet IP. Since then, since then, there are other protocols and standards that have only added to the library or only added to the 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 possibility, the value chain, right? Um, IO link, IO link is improves just the process side so far. Okay. So it's a nice to have. And one could make the argument that it's a need to have in in many cases. And it's it IO link. There's a lot of context that gets created within that uh, within that infrastructure that will provide value, but it isn't a need to have. It's a want to have. Okay. But, uh, but isn't it isn't it some of that context you can other you would otherwise not even be able to get though without IO link. Like when the sensor was installed, IO link allows you to have that information. And when it was manufactured and number of life, like how many times it's been cycled power, whereas a four to 20 signal analog would not give you that information. Right. I mean. Correct. But that four to 20 signal goes to an object in the PLC where parameters of the object you put in there could give you that context. That's my point. My point right. is I could I could create a a uh, a UDT for an analog signal that creates that contains those parameters that could be mapped to a faceplate that I could enter. The point is, is while IO link is valuable and it provides important context, it's not need to have, right? And that was the question he was asking: Got Is it. it a nice to have? And the answer is yes. Um, I I don't really care about this. Let's skip over this. Brad Freo, uh, with all the architecture conversations to attain a unified namespace and having commonality and consistency throughout the stack, I find it a little interesting that security isn't being talked about from what I've seen really at all. Maybe I've missed it. If it has been discussed or you've done a video on it, any threads you can refer me to. All right, so um, two, two points on um, security. Part of the reason that edge-driven is um, is is an important prerequisite for your IoT infrastructure is that when we say edge-driven, what we really mean, well, we mean two things. We mean it needs to be driven by the node, but there's inherent security built into an edge-driven topology, okay? So let's say I take a PLC next, okay? And that PLC next, I'm going to go ahead and plug that into an MQTT infrastructure. So I'm going to take my PLC next, which is on the plant floor, I want to protect it from intrusion, okay? And I want to connect it to an MQTT broker. I don't have to open any inbound ports to that PLC Next in order to plug it into my infrastructure. I only have to allow it to talk out, all right? Now, if I'm doing my job correctly, okay, um, I'm going to connect to the right broker, okay? And I'm going to use TLS so that I have a certified connection. So my PLC on the edge is going to talk out through an open port 
to a broker and that and that broker is going to certify the connection and now it's a stateful connection i've established it and it stays up and now my broker can respond to me through that certified connection that we've established if i'm using spark plug b or mqtt5 then i will also create and i will also encrypt my payloads inside of that certified connection all right so what i'll have is two layers of encryption with no inbound ports open I challenge anybody to go ahead and try and and, and um, um, complete complete an attack against that PLC. Okay, I've tried it. Uh, our former engineers have all tried it. Um, we should try it. We, we should still, actually. We, we still can't figure out a way to do it. Okay. We should do like how Tesla. If you hack the Tesla and you succeed, you get the Tesla. We should do that with like a a broker or something. So to answer Brad's question, yes, security comes up all the time. The 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 point is is that we we adopt a technology for our infrastructure where the the security considerations are native in the protocol itself. Okay? So in the protocol in the standard that we're using within that protocol. That's part of the reason that we say edge-driven report by exception, lightweight, open architecture. The edge-driven component gives us that native, um, gives us one element of our secure stack, right? All right oh, we got a, a good question. Which one? You want to answer this one from Mizrak? Uh, Mizrak, in the mentorship, is there a method or teaching to how to approach management and decision maker in the company? That is in Mastermind, Mizrak. So there are basically two programs. You have mentorship. The mentorship program is the one where we, we teach the technical skills for you to be an industry 4.0 uh, contributor, okay? Digital mastermind is, is a layer above that, and that's where we're teaching, we're teaching architectural, management, strategic, um, and design skills to manage industry 4.0 projects. Teaching, teaching and supporting. There's a like a coaching support channel component to mastermind and mentorship. Yes. In fact, on June 11th, the webinar on June 11th, that is actually our monthly group mentorship call. Um, we only open mentorship twice per year. So and and now's 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 that time. 27% of the available mentorship seats have already sold out. So um, you know, we, we expect because there's 3,500 people registered for that June 11th webinar that everyone who is interested will sign up between now and then. So uh, Mastermind, you can join at any time. Um, and it, it does give you kind of, there is a backdoor access. It gives you access to mentorship content. But um, yeah, it's, this is our training program. And thank you, Cheryl. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's hey. training con content, community, and support is really what it is. Uh, ha Javier, um, to answer your question related to Tesla's onboard sensors, does the data from the sensors converge into the, uh, I don't know that actually. So he's asking the question. So the sensor data on the car, does it converge into the autopilot ECU? I would assume that it does, but I can't answer that question that, I mean, that's not something, um, I've seen. That's I have a good seen. question, Javier. Yeah, it's a great question. I'm curious, Javier, you've been asking a lot of these questions. I'm curious to share or share what, you know, we'll know what you're up to these days. What are you working on? 
Um, all right, let me go to the next question. Um, anyone here into Rust by Emmanuel? The answer is yes. I dabble in all languages. I think, Zach, I, made a, I, think I made a joke about like Rust Iron Oxide. <laughs> uh, Zach Scriven, what OPC companion specs are best in class in terms of the model itself? Market uptake and completeness of integration with OPC itself from RKWAD. Uh, we need to shoot a video on that, Zach. There's basically three of them, in my opinion. John Harrington also has a comment on that as well. Um, Dr. Schrader, has anyone worked with Siemens MindSphere? What was your experience like? Okay, this is a great question. So Siemens MindSphere is basically, think of it as Siemens um, IoT platform. Um, while we talk about WinCCOA, as their IoT platform, MindSphere is sort of like ThingWorks, but for Siemens. Think of it that way, right? MindSphere was initially supposed to be like, um, was supposed to natively integrate, like think of uh, like the TIA portal is like a unified development environment, integrated development environment. MindSphere was supposed to natively integrate with anything you did like in portal in the Siemens ecosystem. My experience with MindSphere was that Siemens approached MindSphere very much the same way that Rockwell approached the innovation suite. That is, the innovation suite was really meant to be the um, the IoT, the IIoT platform for the Rockwell ecosystem, and MindSphere was supposed to be the IoT platform for the Siemens ecosystem. Okay. And that felt that fell flat, just like GE with Predix. It it exact same concept, right? Solution centric. We're much bigger fans of WinCCOA because WinCCOA wasn't designed to integrate with the only the Siemens ecosystem, right? WinCCOA is pure open architecture. It's really like uh, you know I like to call WinCCOA. Uh, it's very similar to like PyCharm as an IDE, right? Where I can build basically any solution in WinCCOA and I have all of the toolkits that I need to integrate it with any part of my infrastructure. So the to, the short answer of MindSphere is I saw, I played with MindSphere initially the first time I was introduced to Factory Studio. It was at the exact same show. Um, I was definitely not impressed. I spent most of my time talking to Siemens about the limitations to the way they went to market. Um, and since that time, I've been primarily focused on with WinCCOA. Um, okay. Has anyone made use of the Softing EATM module to have an OPC server on control logics? The answer is yes, I have. Does it auto detect the available registers and dynamically make available as PLC code is modified? The answer is yes, sort of. I think I answered this actually in the Discord. The answer is yes, sort of. Um, it would be very hard to argue that the EATM module creates a, a wholly edge-driven edge um, connector to a control logics or compact logics PLC, but it is a step in that direction. The issue I had had to do with resource consumption. Um, it was clearly the EATM module was not designed to map the entire control logics namespace to an OPC server or um, without using up a bunch of uh, memory. 
uh, vision module, please fucking make the default property filter all instead of basic. Love, Ben. This is obviously funny, Mr. Venema. Let me answer why it is that way. Why is it uh, property filter? So for the used guys who don't work in ignition, um, lower left-hand corner of the designer, when you are connected, to, when, you, when you've selected a component, all of the properties of that component show up in a pane in the lower left-hand corner. There is a default property filter. So when you initially look at it, there only may be five or six properties for that component, right? That's because it the default filter is basic, which means it's only like the five or six properties that people use the most. If you click all, I think there's a there's an expert or there used to be an expert or something. If you click all, it'll show every property that you could bind to from within the designer. Um, and, and by default, it's basic. The reason it's basic is because what I was talking about earlier, that with ignition, Ignition at its base level is meant to be no code, drag and drop, low code, right? That style. And basic drives that, right? The ones that you see in the basic are the ones that you can bind to drag and drop. The problem is Ben is not a basic programmer. Well, he's an advanced. Not, not now, that's for sure. Um, all right. Henning asked the question, how are building your manual Sparkplug B topics and payload, do you build an N birth payload and a D birth payload and publish both before publishing the D data? If you haven't looked into the examples from the Eclipse group, blah, 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 blah. Oh, he was responding to Davy Jans when Davy Jans was asking, um, when Davy Jans was asking the question about, let's say I don't want to build a, like, I don't want to write a script package. I want to manually create a spark plug B topic. And he was having some issues with the birth and death certificates. This is uh, Henning's response to that. Yeah. Um, John Forbert, how about a primer on ERPs? How is a typical ERP deployed? Is customization required? Yes, it is. Unless you are using there are base. So if you're in mastermind, I think like in step two, maybe step three, we go over ERPs and integrating with ERPs. And we explain the four types of ERP systems. Um, and so to answer your question, John, the there are ERPs that don't require any customization, okay, uh, at all. But that they are the exception, and they are on and they are only for the most basic implementations. So here's your basic primer on ERPs. An ERP is an ORM, okay. It, it's both an ORM with modules that can interface with the ORM. ORM is, I think it's object relation management is what it stands for, or or yeah. And essentially what it means is, uh, you know, think about when you build a database, right? I create a schema and that schema has no tables in it whatsoever, right? And it, so therefore there is no primary key. There are no foreign keys. There's nothing, okay? Most ERP systems are that, okay? They start out with just a front end that you can then use to create all the entities, okay? That in a let's in table equals entity, and then we can establish the relationship. So I could create an entity called, you know, the enterprise and that enterprise would be the parent company. And then I can create an entity called business unit. And then I, and then I could insert a business unit into the entity called business unit. Most ERP systems are like that to start. You start by creating the structure of the business using the ORM feature of that ERP. This is why when you get SAP or you buy JD Edwards or you know any of the big ERP systems, it takes 
months, if not years, to deploy that ERP system. Because the first thing you have to do is create the structure of the business using it. So that's your basic primer, right? And then the, the, the element beyond that is once you create the structure of the business, now you have to create all the instances of those definitions, which are your entities. But my recommendation for you is if you really want to see it, um, the there we did a whole primer. We did a whole thing in Mastermind. Let me, if you're not a member of Mastermind, let's see if we can like maybe extract that and make it available. But uh, I can't promise anything there. Um, what differentiates the ERP market and the SCADA market being IND and OT vendor lock? How to recognize the best in class industry 4.0 ERP provider? Great. That's an outstanding question. How do you know that you're working with a best in class ERP? What you want to do is ask the ERP vendor, um, how do they expose the master data model in the ERP to non-vendor applications? So the master data model is that structure in the ERP you created. Okay. If they if their answer to you is like if let's say I'm Oracle and I own JD Edwards, Oracle is going to say, oh, we want to use SOA, SOA middleware to expose it. Okay. Well, that's our middleware. What you want to know is what technology do you use to expose the master data model and its data to external applications? That's how you can identify best in class. Best in class will, will adopt the an IIoT protocol, something like MQTT or something like AMQP, and it won't be they won't be expecting you to use um, like a pass software in this in the middle. Great, great answer. Um, Rizak, in the mentorship program, step two and three are coming soon. Step two is active right now, but we're in the process of building out um, um, the training deck and the, the training deck for a factory studio, um, frame, the Frameworks University. So only, only the first module is done. Tatsoft had to complete some features in the new release so that we could do the second module. Uh, step three, uh, so... Um, Rizak, we can like share what step one, step two, step three is, what the itinerary, what the uh, curriculum is for each of those. Um, uh, Zach asks, how do we unlock the value from our from many Pi historian AFEF models that have been collecting for years? Um, depends on which value you want to unlock. Um, uh, this is a good one. This is almost like what we're talking about today. Yeah. Um, that depends on what value you want to unlock. Let's say it's the structure, the model, like an asset frame is asset frame in Pi Historian is the equivalent to a UDT in Ignition or a model in HiByte, right? They're the same type of thing. They're basically a abstraction of data that creates a structure. Um, it's difficult to unlock the asset frame, the value from the asset frame once you move outside of the OS, OSI soft ecosystem. So that is... If OSI Soft doesn't have a native connector to the thing you want to share the asset frame to, and they choose to share the asset frame through that connector, it's pretty hard to unlock that potential. Um, same thing with event frames, exact same uh, issue. Um, most of the time, what we do is we will write, we'll use a connector to Pi, we'll, you know, um, and then we will write a script that takes the stuff from those models and the history and stream it to a place that's completely open. And then we use that 
um, to access the data going forward. Um, hold on. This will be the last one. No, you already did that. Uh, we can do that next week. Okay, good. I wanted I wanted to cover one last thing. Uh, Mark Ritchie said, hey, I saw a 4.0 Q&A uh, from about a month ago where you compared flat MQTT versus Sparkplug B. You said you didn't want to go too deep. Have any vids where you go into the weeds for Sparkplug B? Um, no, but we should. Um, we should do that. Zach, add that to our content list, please. Will do. In a nutshell, in a nutshell, the difference between flat MQTT and Sparkplug B. Sparkplug B adds in. So when we say flat MQTT, I'm talking about 3.1.1. The newest version of MQTT is MQTT 5. Okay. MQTT in a nutshell is pretty simple. It's I have a broker. I have a client. The client publishes to the broker. Other clients who want to subscribe to data set up a subscription with the broker. They instantiate it from the edge. The broker keeps track of the people who are subscribing to what. And you have a topic namespace. So I could have a topic, Intellic forward slash Dallas forward slash temperature. I could I could be the client down here who publishes to Intellic forward slash Dallas forward slash temperature, the payload 78 degrees, right? If I'm subscribing to that topic, I would get notified of that new value for that payload, right? That's pure flat MQTT. MQTT 3.1.1 allows you to, to basically create any topic and basically put any payload as the value of that topic, right? I, I could basically put anything in there, okay? Sparkplug B adds in a standard for what do you do when you create the connection, okay? Um, in, you know, in a nutshell, Sparkplug B allows you to create groups of clients, groups of nodes, um, you can, so I can assign a group ID to the connection and I can assign a node ID to the connection. So now within my topic namespace, it starts out with group node, and then all the topics for that node. Okay. That's number one. Number two, uh, Sparkplug B has provisions for encryption and, uh, uh, compression, which doesn't exist in the native protocol 3.1.1. So there's no, by default, there's no encryption of a 3.1.1 connection unless I use TLS for the connection itself. But I can, I can use a TLS encrypted connection and then encrypt the payload inside of that connection as well, which you can get with Sparkplug B. That being said, so that's the quick elevator pitch on the differences. That being said, with MQTT 5, what Eclipse has done is they have taken some of the great things from Sparkplug B, namely encryption and compression and a couple other things in terms of structure, and they've added that well, into the model, modeling, right? Right. So you can pass models through Sparkplug B, which you can't in Sparkplug A or in flat MQTT. You can you can pass an actual model. That is a UDT definition. Oh, you can I thought pass you could in, pass models in five, or no, you cannot. No, you can models. you can in five, but you can't uh, in 3.1.1. So when you had MQTT 3.1.1, they created the Sparkplug A spec, with dig, which didn't have models. Then they created the Sparkplug B spec, which had models. Now with MQTT 5, which is the native protocol specification, they're now putting in support for encryption, compression, and passing models. They're taking 
some of the great things from Sparkplug B, and they're just adding it to the native MQTT standard. Okay? Can you have all three of them sit alongside of each other in a namespace? I know you said you can have 3.1.1 and yes. B simultaneously so, in so the same three, broker. Assuming the broker supports all three. Yep. Got it. All right. Would, and HiveMQ would be one that would, or EMQ. Correct. I want to I want to answer a quick question, then we'll call it call it a day. Um, someone sent me an email the other day and asked me, you know, he said, Hey Walker, I, I've noticed your tagline uh in quote, Intellic Integrations, a faith-based systems integrator. And he said, I, I was wondering what that meant to you. So if anyone's received an email from me in my signature, at the bottom it says Intellic Integration. This is on the Intel uh Intellic Integrations, a faith-based systems integrator. Um, we we're, uh, we take our response, our community responsibility seriously, and we're honored to serve our neighbors and clients, right? And he sent me this email saying, I noticed your tagline, you're a faith-based systems integrator. I was wondering what that meant to you. So I wanted to respond to the whole community with it. So I did email him back, but here was my answer so that you guys understand kind of where we come from, right? So uh, we are a mission-based organization built on five core values. So our mission is to save and create middle-class jobs by helping manufacturers leverage technology to remain competitive in a global market, okay? Global economy. The five core values are number one, transparency. We tell it like it is for better or worse. Uh, number two, authenticity. We are who we are. We don't put energy into being someone we're not. It takes too much energy to pretend to be a professional, you know, to implement Carnegie's um, tools for influencing, you know, winning friends and influencing people. So we don't do that stuff. We are who we are. Number three, expertise. We're experts. We act like it. Experts put good outcomes first above all else. Four, humility. We know what we're good at and what we're not good at, and we surround ourselves with people who are good at the things we're not. Uh, five, faith-based servant leadership. Being a leader is a responsibility. It isn't about power structures or influence. It's about doing what is best for those you lead, sometimes in spite of those you lead. Okay. So I closed with hashtag make a difference is a very big deal to us. We take the responsibility we are given and translate it into positive outcomes for individuals, communities, organizations, and society. Our goal is not profit. A bigger house, a faster car, more vacations. Our goal is to live moral lives at work and home while taking our gifts and influencing our clients and their people with positive outcomes that sustain success and drive community improvement. The pursuit of capital is amoral. So this is very important for people to understand from our perspective. The pursuit of capital is neither moral or immoral, okay? But what we choose to do with that capital, so political or economic, is either moral or immoral, okay? That's the distinction, okay? What we choose to do with our political and economic capital is either moral or immoral, okay? We are driven from a moral focus based on our faith, always. So what does that mean? I am a Christian. Okay, I believe, you know, Jesus Christ came here to die for the sin of man. Okay, I don't talk about it all the time on the channel because I recognize we have people from all over the world. I also believe that God reveals himself to people in different ways. So it's entirely possible that we're all praying to the exact same God all over the world, all over the earth. Okay, I believe that. Um, we are driven from a moral focus based on our faith always. What does that mean? It means that our lives here on earth are about our contribution here on earth, specifically, in my opinion, to the kingdom of Jesus Christ, 
Okay. So when he asked that question, what does that mean to me? I believe we represent a, the Lord's kingdom and we're supposed to do good things and we're supposed to have pure heart and we're supposed to love people. We're supposed to have a positive impact on the world around us. We prioritize this statement above all else. So for those of you who are wondering, what does that mean? What does being a faith-based systems integrator mean? What it means is, is that we are entrusted. We are entrusted with a great gift. And that great gift, we can do good things or bad things with that gift. And we choose to consciously do good things. And we do that by living up to those five core values. The reason transparency matters is because absolute power corrupts absolutely. And you can put the greatest human being in the world in charge. And if they have absolute power, they will become corrupted. Transparency mitigates absolute power, right? Authenticity means that we take all that gift that they gave to us, the, the things we were blessed with, and we take all the energy of those blessings and put it towards solving problems. We don't put any of it towards pretending to be someone we're not. If, if I'm working with another faith-based person, I know that they're, they're, the instruction they received from Jesus is to love me, right? It, it, and, and the way that I love them. And, and loving someone means accepting them for both their flaws and their strengths, okay? Um, so anyway, I wanted to make sure that I took an opportunity to explain that to people. What does it mean when I say we're a faith-based systems integrator? It means that we answer to a higher power and we act like it. Um, the and, and and I and I suspect the the majority of the people who are on here agree on in some way, shape, or form with those with those statements. That was we, good, Walker. Okay. Um, all right. Anyway, sorry. Hopefully that wasn't a thanks. Thanks for that. No, it didn't. You know, turn people off. Hey, Dwayne. Hey, any if you don't like it, then get out of here. <laughs> no, no, don't. Just, don't don't get out of here. I, I, no, let no, me. We're, we accept let, everybody. <laughs> let me. Let me say this. Let me say this one. This one thing. My my kids get say grace every night at my house. Okay, so I ask my kids to say grace, and so we we generally say grace like this. Okay, Heavenly Father, we ask that you to bless this meal which we're about to take from our bodies, and we ask that you come into our hearts, our hearts, and guide us as we represent your kingdom here on earth. Okay. That's the most important thing. Guide us as we represent your kingdom here on earth. Whether, you, whether you're a faith-based person or not a faith-based person, whether you're a Christian or a Muslim or a Jew or any other religion, doesn't matter. If you're just a human being who believes that we only get 77 years here and that's it, um, the one thing that I know everyone on this stream has in common is that they all want to have a positive impact on the world around them. That's true. That's true. Okay. They want to have a positive impact. They don't want it to just be about money and cars and they want to make a difference. And that's what I mean with that statement. Yeah. We, we, we want we to make it really difference. talk about religion or anything. I mean, correct. Even the discord's completely open. We are open to everyone. So, but uh, we are ourselves too. So, Hey, Dwayne, any parting, any parting comments, Ben, before we, we drop off, I appreciate you sticking on with us. Thank you. Well, first of all, thank you very much for inviting me on. Uh, I want to give a, a give a shout out to everybody in the study group. We've got uh, Dave Schultz and, and Lieutenant Dan, Andrew and Kevin and Zach and Taylor and Ben and got Cheryl and all the other the rest of the people. Mario, just a, a fantastic group of people to be with and to learn from. Um, I, I want to thank you especially uh, because 
you know, you've taught us a lot and you offer a lot. And I think one of the things that, that you're helping us as a group is to uh, have some ethics and morals about ourselves. I think that's very important as we go out in the public and we represent industry 4.0. Because after all, it is about helping people. And, uh, you know, it's very important. I think that if, if we can be a leader in ethical treatment, that that can spread. Because Lord knows we need it. Amen. Amen. If, Amen. if people aren't getting better, then it's not an issue 4.0. That's right. Amen, brother. All right. Thanks, uh, th thank you, everybody, for sticking around. Dwayne, thanks for joining us, and we will see you guys next week. Bye. Peace out, word.